You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. Well, this weekend we are kicking off our Christmas marriage series entitled Adventures of Christmas as we revisit the Christmas stories as it's recorded in Scripture and as we look for the way that we can be invited into that adventure, that faith adventure. And with that said, we want to also invite each of you that are gathered here today to our Christmas Eve services. You'll notice that uh, as these times go up on the screen, we're having five services this year just to provide more opportunity for people to come and experience a Christmas Eve service. We're going to begin actually on December 23rd. That's the Sunday. And we do want to call to attention and make sure you notice that the Sunday time is different than normal. Normally, it's 11.15. It's going to be 11 on on that Christmas Eve uh, service or December 23rd service. And we came up with that time because we thought of what's the optimum time for people to come and worship that weekend. And then as we thought about that and talked about that, we thought, you know, we think that might be the optimum time every Sunday. So starting the 23rd, we're going to shift to the 9.30 and 11 time. So for those of you who come to 11.15, make sure you make note of that. Uh, And we'll announce that the next two weeks, okay, so that everybody can get that uh, into your mindset that uh, we'll be starting at 11, not 11.15. As you leave today, there's going to be little invitation cards uh, in the shape of a bookmark that have those times listed. We want to encourage you to grab one and be thinking of which service you'll attend, but also who you can invite to come and share that with us. Well, as we look to the adventure of Christmas, we're going to begin by examining our first theme of this series, that of expectations. And to to examine that theme, we're not going to begin with the baby in the manger. We're going to begin earlier than that. We're going to begin actually centuries earlier than that as the expectation of the Messiah coming begins to build for God's people. So we're going to look back to a time where Isaiah was a prophet. If you have your Bibles with you, you can look to Isaiah, or you can pull out the message insert and read that first passage that's found in Isaiah chapter 7. But before I get into the reading, I think it's always helpful, you know, uh, to, to find the context of what's happening. And maybe you've wondered, okay, these, some of these prophecies of Jesus, the Messiah coming, what was the context of that prophecy when it was given? And how did that make sense to the people of that day that weren't going to live long enough to see it fulfilled? Well, I love these kind of things. And so I really dug into this familiar passage and the context behind it. And it's fascinating what you find as you dig into that. This, this first reading we're going to read from takes place, it was recorded 700 years before Christ was born there in Bethlehem. But that setting of the time when Isaiah was a prophet, Israel was going through a difficult time. 
Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but after the glory days of, of King David and King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel actually split. It divided into two kingdoms. You had, you had Israel to the north and you had Judah to the south surrounding Jerusalem. And so what we find here is that the glory days are past. What was once one kingdom is now a divided kingdom. And Scripture says that those two kingdoms of Israel and Judah were constantly at war at each other. In many ways, it was a civil war. And then if that wasn't bad enough, at the time Isaiah was a prophet, this superpower, Assyria, which is not even on the map, different than Syria, Assyria was threatening to invade both nations. It was truly a dark time. It was a time when the king of Judah was down. His expectations were extremely low. You might say an all-time low. And it's at that time that Isaiah went to speak to him, to help him know that there was hope for the future. Listen to this conversation that, that begins in verse 10 of Isaiah 7. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. He was the king of Judah. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Now listen to how the king responds. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Can you relate to this scene? Now you might say, I didn't even know the history behind this scene. Maybe that's true, but can you relate to the experience that this king is having right now? The human predicament of being beaten down by life. Have you ever come to that point in your life where the expectations of your life and your future were at a low point? Maybe it was because of a relationship that you've been in was coming to an end. And because of that, there's sadness. There's this sense of, wow, I had such hope for that relationship. Am I ever going to have the kind of relationship I dreamed of? Or maybe in your career, you, you had great lofty dreams when you started your career, but it seems like it's become stalled. And you're thinking, was this what I was meant to experience? And maybe your expectations are at a low point. Maybe, maybe it's just some dream you had for your life. A dream that you held dear and yet it seems like recently that dream has been dashed. Or, or maybe for some of you, you're, you're battling in secret an addiction and you know that you shouldn't be wrapped up in this addiction, but you've lost hope of ever getting out of it. And in fact, your expectation of ever living life free from that addiction is at an all-time low. Or maybe just at this time of the year and this season, maybe you're experiencing some depression you feel like you're in a rut of life. And really, you just don't have much hope of getting out of that rut. The expectation is not there. If you're taking notes, this, this description I've just tried to put before you is a description of having non-existent expectations. Non I mean, they're just not even there. 
That's the way the king of Judah was. He says, I'm not even going to test God. I mean, I don't even want to ask anything of God. It's in this context that we read these famous words that maybe you didn't understand the context behind it, but it's on Isaiah 7, verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, I believe with all my heart that this passage in Isaiah is a clear prophecy of the eventual birth of Jesus to the Virgin Mary. And yet, most likely, as I've dug into this passage and read uh, the context of the time period, it was a double prophecy that was also fulfilled in the time of King Ahaz. You see this word in the original language, which is translated in English as virgin, and rightly so as it applies to Mary. And yet that word in the original language can also describe a young adolescent woman. So most likely there was a young woman in the time of of Isaiah, in the time of King Ahaz, who would maybe even become his wife, who would eventually give birth to a child, who would eventually lead Judah to restore their hope in God for the future. You see, that's the power of God and his word, that he can give a promise that can be fulfilled in the, in the nearby, in the, in the immediate, but also can be fulfilled centuries later. I think that's what's happening in this passage. But what is the hope in this passage, both for the people of that day and for the people that would later experience the birth of Jesus? It's captured in the name Emmanuel. What does that name mean? It means God with us. You see, I believe Isaiah was sent to this king of Judah to say, even though things look dark right now, even though people have given up hope, even though people have non-existent expectations of things getting better, if we will remember that God is with us, then that's going to give us hope for the future. Yeah, I know right now it stinks, but if we can trust that God is always present and that God is working behind the scenes even during dark times, even during difficult times, then we can see given birth into our life the flip side of non-existent expectations, and that's hope. Possibly if this first point describes you, the first step for you to see hope and to rekindle future expectations in your life is to quit looking to yourself for the answer, quit looking to other people for the answer. Instead, look to the God who is with us for the answer. You see, if we get our attention on him, if we get our focus on the one who is at work even when we can't see what he's doing, then our eyes will begin to be able to see by faith the possibilities of a brighter future. 
Yet as we keep reading another prophecy within Isaiah, we see that sometimes as human beings, we can have expectations, but they can be misdirected expectations, or possibly maybe some of you would describe it as unrealistic expectations. Well, I think we see that in the next prophecy in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah writes this in verse 1, nevertheless, even though there's dark times right now in Israel, even though there's dark times in Judah, he says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. I love this reminder from God's Word, don't you? That when we go through a tough time in life, when things seem dark, when hope and expectations seem absent, it's remember for us, it's a reminder for us during those tough seasons that this too will pass. That's what the prophet Isaiah says. He says, this tough season will pass. Whatever the reason, whether it be loss, sadness, loneliness, or defeat, Isaiah gives promise, if we'll refocus our attention on God, that will not go on forever. In fact, as he keeps writing in verse 2, he says, the people who walk in darkness now in the present will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And then I bet you've heard this verse in verse 6. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And my hunch is you've heard verse 6 before, haven't you? You've seen it on Christmas banners. Maybe you've read it on Christmas cards. And yet, yes, this, this beautiful description is a description of the Messiah who is to come, Jesus of Nazareth, who would interestingly enough grow up in the Galilee of the Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? How the prophet pinpointed where the Messiah would live and grow up. And yet, as we consider the context uh, found here of Isaiah's day, of a troubled time, of a divided kingdom, fear of invasion and oppression of another world power, we can see where that would give hope to the people of that day. That, you know, things don't look too good and it might even get worse, but you know what? It's not going to last forever. And I think the people of that day were looking for a Messiah that would, would save them from the oppression of the Assyrians. 700 years later, the Jewish people that were living in Palestine read this passage and no doubt thought that a Messiah was going to come and put the government on his shoulders and he will free us from Roman oppression. I think that was, yes, it was a prophecy, but their expectation was misdirected. And that's why many of Jesus' day missed the Messiah. Why? Because they were looking for this this Messiah to come with military power that 
would establish a new government in Palestine, kick the Romans out, and the glory days of Israel under David would be restored. And because that's how they read this passage, they missed the true Messiah that came. They couldn't imagine a baby born in poverty. They couldn't imagine a humble carpenter, an itinerant preacher who didn't have an army could possibly be Messiah. We see here misaligned expectations in life will lead us to miss what God really wants to do in our life. And instead of having hope and expectation, instead we have despair. Well, what are some unrealistic expectations that we might have today? What are some misdirected expectations that maybe you have in your heart? As I thought about that, I thought back in my own life. As a young boy growing up in a state that, that played with a ball that didn't have points on it, okay? We played with a round ball. I grew up in Indiana. Football was just preseason, okay? And I dreamed and had an expectation of playing college basketball. As a 5'9 kid who couldn't jump, that was a misdirected expectation. Another example of a misdirected or unrealistic expectation to be someone that's in their mid-30s or mid-40s and think that the next car you buy or the next appliance you buy for your house, if you live a long life, will last the rest of your life. Unless, of course, you're my mom. Here's a picture of my mom. She turns 90 this week. That stove is a 1964 model that she's had for 54 years. I'm hoping we can get some commercial cred, okay, from that company. But the tr I don't even know if they're still in business. It's Roper. Probably isn't even in business. But the truth of it, that's lasted 54 years. I don't think they make ovens like that anymore. And if you have that kind of expectation when you buy an appliance, you're going to be disappointed. On a more serious note, this week I sat down with a group of Southwest members and I asked them this question. What's been the biggest unmet expectation in your life as a Christian? How would you answer that question if we would have open Q&A time right now? I want to share with you what that group of members here at Southwest shared. One person shared, you know, I, I really thought after I became a Christian, I would always be consistent in reading my Bible every day. But you know what? I haven't been. Another person said, I thought I would never experience guilt ever again. But that's not been true. Another person said, I really thought after I became a Christian, I would feel less pressure in life. But I still seem to have a lot of pressure. Another person said, I thought I, when I became a Christian, I wouldn't experience conflict in relationships anymore. I thought that all the relationships in the church were perfect and conflict-free. But you know, I've had some conflict, even in the church. And one person said, 
You know, I thought after I became a Christian that having a Christian marriage would just be an easy thing to experience. But I found out it takes a lot of hard work to have a good Christian marriage. You see, these people had unrealistic expectations when they became a Christian. Maybe you have as well. And by the way, that group I sat down with, that was your ministry staff. And those are some unrealistic expectations they had in their lives. Well, how would you have answered it? You see, sometimes we can think when we accept that call to follow Jesus, we think, okay, life's going to be great now. I mean, it's just going to be easy. Jesus never promised that. He never promised that when we follow him that life's going to be easier. In fact, he said what? It's going to be tough at times. It'll be more challenging. Jesus never promised it would be easy. He just promised what? It would be worth it. Have you had unrealistic expectations? I think people give up on their faith sometimes because they think, well, this Christian thing just doesn't work for me. No, you just got to hang in there. You just got to keep trusting that God is at work. He's going to lead you through it, and you're going to grow through the challenges. Another area that we can have either no expectation or unrealistic expectation is when it comes to sharing our faith with others. You know, when I became a Christian in college, I was so excited about this new faith I had in Jesus that I wanted to tell everybody. I mean, I started going through the dorm. Do you know why Jesus died for you? I didn't know. This is why he died. And I just thought everybody would want to fall on their knees and become Christians, you know. And, and I was shocked that some people didn't. They scoffed at my invitation to come to church with them. You see, my expectations were unrealistic that everyone's going to want to become a Christian. On the other hand, some of you have settled into no expectations. You just think, well, in the 21st century, nobody's interested in following Jesus today. Well, that's not true. I shared with you two weeks ago, and I'm going to keep sharing it because I think some of you don't believe it. But a recent survey this year, a survey was done in America where people throughout America were polled that don't attend church, and they were asked the question, if you were invited to a Christmas service at a church, would you go? More than half the people surveyed said yes. If it was somebody I knew, I would most likely attend with them. Now, here's the question. Do you have no expectation? that your neighbors, your friends at work, your family members will attend with you? And some of you say, I still don't know if I believe it. Well, test it. You know, the only way you're going to be able to test it is by asking the people around you. We've got five times this Christmas Eve. Invite them. Invite them to come to this series so they can experience the entire adventure of Christmas. Now, if you ask one person and they say no, you say, oh, I knew people weren't interested. No, no. Half the people will come. You just found the person who said no. Now, if you ask one other person and they say no, you know what? That's not a good sample size, okay? You got to keep asking, but 50 plus percent of the people will say yes if it's somebody they know. Let's test that this Christmas season. Let's pack this place up and grab an invitation on a bookmark on your way out. Grab several of them and see who you can invite. You see, the people of Isaiah's day, they either had no expectations or they had misdirected expectation. 
And the people of Jesus' day the same, even the people of our day. And that's why we need our third point, to realign our expectations with Scripture. The evidence of our faith is rooted in the Bible. And in Scripture, as we keep reading the various prophecies of Jesus, if they would have just read further, they would have understand, understood this misdirected expectation was not the picture God was painting. In fact, Micah, the same a prophet, the same time as Isaiah, around 700 B.C., wrote this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past. Does that sound like the preexistent Christ who existed even before creation? will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor, labor gives birth. You see, just like the prophets who came centuries before Jesus' birth, they helped set and realign the expectations of those who lived prior to Jesus coming to the earth. And for us today, looking back on it, the Bible and Micah said, listen, this coming Messiah is not going to be born in a palace in Jerusalem. He's going to be born in some small village in Bethlehem. But people missed it. And we can miss what God wants to do in our lives if we're not in Scripture reading the promises of God and reading God's will for our life. You see, we can easily get our expectations and our will out of step, out of sync with God's will and God's expectation for our life. And we only get it back in line when we get back in Scripture. The last prophetic book recorded in the Bible written about 400 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, was by a prophet named Malachi. This is what he said. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction." Here Malachi says, before the Messiah comes, there's going to come someone in the spirit of Elijah. Now, if you've read the story of Jesus' birth in its entirety in the Gospel of Luke, you probably remember approximately six months before Jesus was born of Mary, there was a relative of Jesus who was born to this couple who had been waiting a long time for a child, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And that son's name was John. We know him as John the Baptist. And he came on the scene with the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for Jesus' arrival. His role was to turn the hearts of the people back to God, and interesting enough, in a very practical way, by turning the hearts of the parents, and Malachi specifically says, the fathers back to their children. There's something powerful that happens in our hearts when a new baby is born in the family. I, I marvel at this and how that a baby being born in a family changes things. You know, it changes priorities. A birth of a baby changes priorities and values and focus. It can even break hearts. I, I've seen big, strong, burly guys holding a little baby 
in their arms be brought to tears. Babies have a way of doing that. 31 years ago this Christmas, my wife and I were expecting our first baby. You know, I fast forward 31 years now, she's expecting her second baby this Christmas. And you know, not only is she expecting a baby, there's a number of women here at Southwest that are expecting babies. And when I pray for my daughter, I try to remember to pray for them because I know this is an expectant time in their life. I wanted just to give you an update, and I thought it would maybe be appropriate when we're talking about the birth of babies and the way things, babies change things, you know, I thought this might be an opportunity to show a few pictures. Because um, we have this, this baby that we're expecting is the third of our uh, three grandchildren. Here's our oldest granddaughter, Jacqueline. She's four years old, and she wants everybody to know it. And then here's our youngest granddaughter, Erin. She's a year and a half old, and we're so glad our son and his wife moved back to Ohio so we could see her more often. That was just just this past Sunday. And yet on this week of talking about the expectation of babies being born, I want to share with you our third grandchild. We know the gender now. And I love my granddaughters, don't get me wrong. And they've got me twisted around their fingers, but you know, the truth of it is there's an excitement in my heart because we're expecting our first grandson. And he'll be born in March of 2019. And I've already circled on the calendar 2037 when he's 18 and he'll be entering Purdue on a basketball scholarship. (laughs) Now, with our genetic pool, that might be an unrealistic expectation. It's more likely he'll be entering Purdue as an engineering student, but that'll be okay too. And that brings us to our final point, that of promising expectations. Let's read about Malachi's prophecy being fulfilled in Luke 1 and verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. He's he's saying this to Mary, this young adolescent woman who was a virgin. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Oh, I love that. You might want to underline that in your Bible or in your notes. For no word of God will ever fail. All those prophecies you remember, they're going to be fulfilled. For no word of God will ever fail. And I love Mary's response. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. As we talked about last week, this is truly a promising expectation that the Holy Spirit has been at work in a miraculous way to do something that's never been experienced on earth before. In verse 37, the NIV reads that no word from God will ever fail. I like how the New American Standard Bible reads, for nothing will be impossible with God. I'm amazed with Elizabeth's faith that she had persevered years of being barren and yet she still clung to her faith in God that God had a plan for her life and that there was a hope for the future and she would be the mother of John the Baptist. 
I'm also amazed by the faith of Mary, who simply trusted the promises of God, no matter how outlandish they might seem. And isn't that what faith really is? Is when you have faith and trust that which you've never seen can happen. It's one thing to believe that which you've already experienced or seen in other people's lives, but to believe that God can do in your life something that you've never seen before, now that's faith. And that's what Mary had. She had faith that God could do the impossible. She said, let it be so. And so I want to ask you on this first message of the Christmas series, as we think about the impossibility and and the wonder and the miracle of the entire the expectation that a Messiah would be born in this manner. I want to ask you, do you have that raw, genuine faith that God can work in your life and do the impossible? Do you have that raw, genuine faith that, that God can do the impossible in the lives of the people around you, those that you love, those that you care about, those that you're waiting to see God work in their life? Do you have that faith that nothing is impossible with God. How are you doing with expectations? Have you tried to play it safe and not get disappointed and you just say, I'm just gonna go through life with no expectations? Well, maybe that's safe, but it's boring. That's not the adventure that God wants you to experience in life. Maybe for some of you, you've had unrealistic expectations that have thrown you off track and, and possibly you've been discouraged because of that. Are you willing to allow your life expectations to be realigned with God's expectations for you? Are you willing to cling to the promises of God, even if they seem outlandish? Do you believe that God can break through this Christmas season and do the impossible in your life? Do you think that God can break through this impossible, this, this Christmas season and do the impossible in your family's life? Let's never forget that the underlying message of the Christmas story is that the God that we read about in the Bible, he's the same God who came near in the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Because God wanted us to be convinced that he is with us. One of the promises that we cling, not just at the birth of Emmanuel, but also at his later death and resurrection, is that he will always be with us. And that's a truth that we cling to in communion. You see, when we take the bread and we hear Jesus say, this is my body, when we take the cup and we hear Jesus say, this is my blood, this isn't something that we instituted. This isn't something that we dreamed up and came up with or that early Christians came up with. This was God's plan for us to remember that we have been invited to a relationship. We've been invited to a supper, the Lord's Supper, with a living Messiah. And he wants us to hear loud and clear when we take communion today that he is with us. Allow your hearts to hear that and reflect on that. And to allow God to ratchet back up your expectation that he has a plan for you and he wants to work in you. Let's pray together. Dear God, we, we just marvel 
when we read these prophecies centuries before Jesus was born and how you, through your prophets, pinpointed and described so beautifully the Messiah that we have come to trust, we're amazed. But we thank you that in communion, we're reminded that we've been invited to a supper with a living Savior. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here, that you're present, that you're with us. And you're not just with us today, although you are. You want to go with us as we go through this week. Help us cling to Emmanuel right now. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.